And now, Canada Hoops, hosted by Maddie Ireland. Welcome back to episode two of Canada Hoops. It's your boy, Matty. Really glad you joined us today. We got a great show coming up. The man, Leo Routon, joins us in a couple minutes. I'm really excited to talk to Leo about his journey in the game and his impact on Canada basketball. I just want to thank you all for the response to the podcast after episode one with Carl English. I appreciate the support, so let's keep it going. Let's rock this. Let's, let's show our love for Canada basketball. All right, it's time to rock with the legend, Leo Routens. All right, everyone, I'm super excited to welcome to Canada Hoops, the kid from Keel Street, Mr. Twine and Wine. He's Canadian basketball royalty, no doubt, Mr. Leo Routens. Leo, how are you doing today? I'm great, Matty. How are you doing today? I'm great as well. Uh, appreciate you coming on. It's a thrill. Uh, you know, everyone just... Appreciate you and love you so much. So it's exciting to have you on. I appreciate that. Thank you. No problem. Uh, how's everyone doing? How's everyone surviving the pandemic? Yourself, your family, and staying safe? Yeah, laying low. I'm back in Florida right now, and uh, quite honestly, uh, rarely leave the house. Right, only on a on a must uh, need be basis. Otherwise, uh, we just stay here. And uh, you know, my boys are in in Toronto and. Uh, We'll be heading back there soon, but it'll still be the same thing. You know, don't uh, just stay close to home and uh, don't don't mess around. This thing is not something we need to play with. It's a it's a dangerous virus. No, it is. I'm glad um, you know everyone's staying safe and, and and healthy. That's for sure. Um, Leo, I just want to. I mentioned the twine and wine in the intro. You know that was a special thing that was going on in March through April, May, uh, during the, the, the start of the pandemic. And, uh, you know, that was, that really lifted people, people embraced that. Uh, it gave something for people to look forward to every day. I wonder, you know, might we see maybe later this winter, depending on what goes on, we might see a little more of that. Yeah, you might, you might. It was, uh, it's kind of funny how that started. Uh, you know, TSN, remember the NBA had that little horse competition right. and TSN had us do a couple things just as a joke and talk a little trash and, you know, make some shots, this and that. So I, I did that and I kind of watched to see how it was received and uh, people really seemed to kind of jump on it. And and then it became one of those things, okay, I'm going to mess around right here, a little, little twine and wine. And, uh, and, you know, it just got to the point where really that uh, – one, I think people miss sports, right? People miss their sports. And at the same time, you know, a lot of people are hurting, you know, uh, a lot of people going through a lot of stuff, uh, you know, themselves, families, uh, jobs, uh, money. I mean, there's so many things happening. So I just felt like, okay, you know, people seem to be getting a kick out of it. They're having fun. It's a little bit of a distraction. I'll, I'll just keep doing it, but <laughs> I'll be honest with you, man. It kept getting harder and harder because, uh, as you know, I don't know if you know, I had I had major back surgery in, in February, right. and right. so if I could if I could go flying through the air and dive in a pool and shoot, well, I'd have a hundred more shots. But I can't do any of that. Uh, I still got to be kind of careful. So uh, it became quite a challenge coming up with something different all the time. But uh, you know, it was fun to do, and, and like I said, I'm glad it offered a little bit of a a break, diversion, whatever you want to call it for people. No, that's great. I mean. I know myself, I was looking forward to it daily. I was like, oh, what's Leo going to do today? And, you know, I was I was kind of waiting, you know, with the time difference, you know, close to your, obviously, the twine and wine. And I was like, oh, man, great shot. And, you know, that I, it definitely lifted people. And, uh, you know, we appreciated it. It was um, fun. It was fun. No, it was great. Leo, I've been kicking around this idea in my head, this concept, and – I think you, if anybody, can answer this the best just because of your your presence in, in Canada basketball and the game and the country. But it feels like, you know, especially since I, I started to plan to launch Canada Hoops and just 
connecting with, you know, guys like you and Carl English and others. Um, so there's just willingness from everyone to really, you know, give their time. They're very generous in conversation. And I just wonder if you can talk about that just because it feels like, and my idea of it is, you know, back 20 years ago, you know, just the game is relatively small in Canada, a backseat to, to hockey maybe. And it seemed like there was a tightness circle of, you know, fans, supporters and whatnot. And now it's just the game has grown so much. But your opinion is as relevant as anyone's. Why do you think everyone's so just generous to do that, going from, you know, icons like you down to, you know, a dude like me? Well, I, I think you kind of touch on it. I mean, you know, basketball is still kind of a small community, right? And a lot of us, you know, grew up uh, – pushing it, trying to uh, get it going and, and, and get people excited about the game of basketball. So now that you're you're kind of there, right? I mean, think about it. Over half the country watched the NBA, you know, watched the Raptors win a championship a year ago. Right. Uh, you're, you're at an incredible point uh, for the game in our country. So, you know, the way I look at it is, you know, any opportunity we have to talk about the game, to promote the game, to get more people involved in the game, Let's do it. Uh, and I, I think, you know, basketball people uh, genuinely love the game, right? We love talking about the game, and, and we love seeing the game grow. Uh, Absolutely. You know, I keep telling all the all, you know the fans that, you know, what a thrill. Yeah, I'm a Raptors broadcaster, but I'm also a kid that grew up in Toronto playing a game of basketball, you know, playing for my country, doing all these things. So, you know, the thrill that I had, you know, seeing the game go from, you know, the very first game to ultimately a championship uh, was incredible. And so I love sharing that experience. I love talking to people about the game and just to continue to promote and grow the game because I think we have something really special and it's uh, it's just going to continue to get bigger and better. No, I agree. It's an, it's an exciting time for the game in Canada. You know, the pipeline of talent we've developed um, over the years and you're a vital part of that. And you know, you, you get to witness that firsthand with the amount of guys in the league and, uh, you know, the second most guys in the NBA outside of the States. And that's got to be a great feeling for you going back to, you know, the Raptors starting in 95, you're there day one and now seeing, you know, on any given night throughout the schedule in the season, you're going to see, you know, a handful of guys up close and personal on, on the floor at one time. That's it's 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 a beautiful thing. It makes a lot of people proud for sure. Yeah, and and, and you know that was kind of a you know when I took over coaching Canada in two thousand five. Right. Um, some you know you got to remember Steve Nash just kind of retired. Rowan Barrett just kind of retired. Uh, you know they're the team they had for years. Uh, Todd McCullough was injured. He was done. Uh, so the cupboards were kind of bare up top, right? Right. But when you look down, I mean, you saw all this talent. And so I think as an organization, there was a conscious effort to say, okay, you know what? We got to go down there and start developing, give give these kids as much opportunity as they can. And, you know, I, I remember bringing up as many young guys as I could to the senior camp. Uh, you know, I wanted a Tristan Thompson to go against Joel Anthony, Dwight Powell, uh, you know, a Mick Capongo to go against Jermaine Anderson, you know, and Pangos and young guys like that. Give them the taste. You know, I took them on a few tours. I tried to get them exposed to the game. You know, uh, you know, Chris jo uh, Corey Joseph. Uh, give them as much opportunity to kind of experience that uh, and, and, and do whatever you can to help their game. So, uh, you know, I think there was a conscious effort. Uh, and we're seeing that, you know, the that was important. I think just the NBA itself, right? Uh, uh, you know, I remind everybody, you know, Andrew Wiggins was born in 1995. Right. The NBA came to Canada in 1995, right. and in all these kids. I mean, think about it, Matty. When I when I was growing up, telling everybody I'm going to play in the NBA, people you know people think you're crazy, right? Or or what's the, what's the basis for that? See my cat back there. Uh, what's what's the basis for that? Um, and and there really was kind of crazy. I mean, I rarely saw it. Or, you know, one, a few live games at, at Maple Leaf Gardens, the Buffalo Braves, and rarely saw it on TV. Uh, now kids grow up seeing 300 games a year. They can go to games in person. 
They can go to coaches clinics, player clinics. They can do all these things. So all of a sudden it's a reality that, you know, they can be an NBA player, right? You know, when you can kind of see it, feel it, taste it, touch it, you know, it becomes, it becomes something you really believe in. So, uh, you know, that, that's what these kids have. And, and, and we kind of saw that that was the opportunity we had to push in that direction. Uh, and it's just great to see them. You know, I know so many of these guys and uh, to see them have success and, and, and I mean, they're not just there, right? They're having great success at that level. Uh, they're impacting games. They're impacting playoffs. Uh, so it's uh, it, it really is exciting to watch. No, it is. And, uh, you know, maybe we can just talk about the NBA bubble. I wanted to pick your brain on that and what you thought of. It was amazing to see Jamal really – Wow, just go nuts in the in the bubble, and it felt like, especially in the series um, against the Lakers, there he was, you know, he was big, and he just the Raptors were out, and it felt like Canada, the Canadian basketball fans and community just jumped on him and said, "This is our guy. This is he's ours." Like they claimed him. It was, and then Kelly too. Kelly in the finals, he was, you know, he had big games in games two and three, and that was underrated. I was disappointed. He didn't get a little more minutes once they got, um, sorry, I'm drawing a blank here. Uh, they got the big man there back. Bam. They yeah. got Bam back. Bam, and yeah. just like, you know, I felt like he could have done a little work for them off the bench, but that's, that's gotta be cool. You know, they just, they represented for uh, Canada. Yeah. And I mean, if you think about Denver, I mean, their, their head coach, Mike Malone was my, you know, worked for me, was my assistant with the Canadian team. So right. he knows all the guys too. You know, he, he was part of that group when we were, you know, working with the young guys, trying to get them excited about the national team. And uh, so Mike had a big part in that. And, uh, you know, it was, it was great to see. And I think Canada did jump on that. And, uh, you know, the, the bubble was, was not easy, right? The bubble was tough. Uh, and, and some guys handled extremely well. Some, some individuals and teams struggled. Uh, we saw that with the Raptors. Um, but, you know, I, I tell, it's a testament to uh, the toughness of a Jamal Murray. Uh, when you're going out there every night and you're one of the key guys, I mean, they're not winning without you. And you're not only delivering, but delivering in a big way. And remember, you're playing every other night. And there's just no breaks, right? And I remember his reaction when uh, was it uh, uh, they won their, their first series uh, when they came back against OKC and then they had a you know, he's we're playing again, what, in a couple of days? You know, boom, yeah. you're right back at it. So, uh, you know, it's, it's, but it, it tells you what a tough kid he is. I mean, Jamal's a really tough kid, uh, you know, and, and like I said, Kelly too. I agree with you. I thought Kelly, uh, he played extremely well in the minutes he got, but then didn't get a lot of minutes for, for whatever reason. And, and, you know, not faulting Eric Spolster. He knows his team and he's, he's rolling the dice for what he's got to go with, but, I think Kelly showed everybody uh, and for all young kids in Canada watching that, you know, he's always ready, right? Uh, okay. Kelly, you're starting. He plays good. Right. Kelly, you're coming off the bench. He plays good. Kelly, you're not playing this game. He's up cheering. Next game, you're coming back. You get 17 or 24 or whatever. Uh, that, that's a pro, right? That's a pro. And, and I think, uh, you know, Kelly's also brings so much versatility you know, a lot of people don't know that. I'll tell you a story. Uh, Kelly's dad, I was going out to Vancouver uh, when I was, again, just starting out with Canada basketball. I was going out to Vancouver to look at some players. Right. And his dad, uh, who I knew from the Toronto Raptors, uh, Ken asked me, he goes, hey, you want to just take a look at Kelly and, and, you know, tell me what you think? I said, yeah, bring him bring him to the to the camp. Yeah. So he came out there, and uh, so I'm watching him play, and, and uh, uh you know, he was a seven footer, and people forget he played guard in high school, right? Right, and uh, and this, so I can remember watching those players guarding this little quick guy, and the guy kind of you know blew by him a couple of times, and I just pulled him over and said, "Kelly, what's your biggest advantage? Your size, all right? So gap him a little bit, give him some space, and and, and you know make him you can still recover, get a hand up and a shot." One thirty second conversation. Kelly made the adjustment. All of a sudden, he controlled the guy. And, he, and, and so, anyway, I just watching him, and I was so impressed by him. I remember his dad said, Well, you, do you think he'd get a scholarship? I said, I said Ken, your, dad, your son's going to be an NBA player. I said, yeah. Don't worry about a scholarship. Your son's going to be an NBA player. And uh, so, you know, I, you know, like I said, I, it's great to see these kids uh, 
flourish and, and do so well and also just bring such character to the game. Yeah, it's exciting. And I, you know, I think, um, it lets a lot of young kids know like, Hey, this is, this is possible. And, you know, the guys, it's not just role guys anymore. It's, it's stars and they're, yep. you know, they're contributing. And I think that that gives a lot of kids, you know, uh, the idea that this is possible, right? Sure. Leo, uh, I want to shout out Andy Javon, <laughs> boy Danny G on Jim Rats and Joints, because they, you know, they're doing that, you know, they're sharing that love of the game, and uh, I loved your episode on there, and they've been good to me. They've replied to me on social media just on things, and uh, so I look forward to their episodes every day, so I feel like I need to shout them out as well, so much love to uh, those boys and uh, what they're doing on, on Jim Rats and Joints. Yeah, of course, Danny G, you know, worked many years, uh, our producer right. of the Toronto Raptors, and uh, uh, Danny did a great job uh, with us. And, uh, you know, obviously uh, now, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a transitional period for uh, Andy, my son, uh, who's yeah. decided, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he's decided he's done playing, uh, and Javon Shepard as well. And, and it's kind of cool because, like I said, I not only is Andy my son, but I also coached Andy and I coached Javon. Right. Right. And uh, just to see Javon, I mean, look at that. You know, Javon and I had many conversations when he was playing. We talked about the future and things he wanted to do. Uh, and we've had a lot of conversations since he's gotten into gotten into the uh, uh, TV, radio, podcasting. Uh, and he's done exceptionally well uh, very quickly. Uh, he's got a great personality and he works. I mean, he's a worker. So it's great to see those guys get together, have a little fun, and and uh, uh, and like I said, they got, they offer some great insight, right? They're they're young young players that have kind of experienced a lot, and uh, they kind of know know a lot of different things they can share with the audience. I think they do a great job of connecting. Absolutely, I love their pod, so uh, I needed to shout them out for sure. Leo, um, maybe we can start just your journey. You know, you're that young kid. Uh, on Keel Street, you're growing up. I'm curious what basketball was like at that time in Toronto, the community, what was competition like, and just how, you know, why basketball? Did you play other sports? Like, did was hoops just something that grabbed you right away? Well, everybody played hockey, right? I played hockey just like everybody else. And, uh, uh, but, you know, going back to what I mentioned, I had, you know, I had back surgery when I was 11 years old. Uh, it was very serious. Uh, they told me uh, I, I'll, I'll never play sports again. I may never walk again. Uh, and uh, fortunately, I was young and stupid, didn't pay much attention to that, and had a great surgeon. Um, but uh, once I had the back surgery, that was it for hockey, right? I mean, uh, there was no more getting checked into the boards or anything like that. So, uh, but, you know, I, I did have a unique background, uh, Maddie, that is very unusual for Toronto kid. Uh, my background is Lithuanian. You know, right. my parents are Lithuanian, uh, Latvian and Lithuanian, but we were kind of raised in the Lithuanian community. And back in Lithuania, the national sport is basketball. Everybody plays basketball. I mean, they're, they're, they're renowned throughout Europe with the following that they have and how their fans travel and, and all the great players that have come from there. Um, so all the Lithuanian kids, we all are hooping. Right. right? Uh, we had a Lithuanian church. We could always go in. There was always a gym. There was always people to teach you. There was older guys all around. So you're always playing with older guys. Uh, we had uh, we had a unique thing that the Lithu- every year they had a, a, a North American tournament. Like So you'd go to Chicago, Cleveland, New York, uh, Detroit, and you'd play against like Division One stars, even, you know, like Lithuanians from all these different places. So you got really got a great exposure to the game of basketball. So uh, I was very fortunate in that regard that uh, I always had a gym to go to and I always had people playing and, and I was always playing up, right? I was always playing with older guys. Uh, you know, when I was playing in men's leagues from eighth and ninth grade on. Uh, and, and so, you know, that, that was the way I was getting my competition as I started to get better. Uh, you know, high school was less of a challenge and uh, the competition came from men's leagues and things like that. So, uh, and at that time, you know, everybody kind of thinks that the game was just invented, but the high school basketball around Toronto, when I was coming up was really good. And, uh, there was a lot of good players that if it was today, these guys all would have gotten scholarships. All right. 
And, and, and I like to think that maybe to some degree when a lot of these schools that came up to see me, they saw some other players that said, you know what, we got to come back here. Uh, there's some talent. And, and uh, you know, but like I said, we had, there was a lot of athleticism, a lot of talent, and, and I, there were guys that did go uh, get scholarships. So, um, you know, I give credit. There, there, was, uh, there was a lot of good competition. I had a lot of fun playing the high school ball. Uh, and really what, what, what changed my life uh, was making a national team in high school. Uh, I always That's tell 16, the story. 16, huh? right, Leo? 16, 16 right? yeah. yeah. So I always tell the story because not even seven, eight months prior to that, I had tried out for an Ontario junior team. And back then, it's not like today where you got the U15, U16. Back then, it was U21, <laughs> right. right? But I thought I should have made the team. And they come up to me and go, hey, you know, thanks for coming out. You're too young, the whole bit. I go, well, I, he's 21. I'm kicking his, you know, kicking his you-know-what. Why, why am I too young? So I was really ticked off about that. And, and you know, my personality is I'm not going to mope and sulk. I mean, you're, you're going to – I said, I'm going to show you. So I was always a, a guy playing all the time. Uh, there was a court by our house where I grew up, Keel Street Court. That's why the kid from Keel Street. That, that was the best court in the city of Toronto. Uh, anybody was anybody was playing ball there. Uh, back then, you had a lot of draft dodgers who lived in Toronto, so you had American influence. You had all kinds of it's the best pickup games. Um, but uh, you know, so you know the the whole idea was that the national team though just kind of opened up the door, and I was so ticked off about getting cut that I worked it twice as hard, right? right? And then uh, so I, I I was playing this all star game in Buffalo with the Toronto team. And we got home about 2 o'clock in the morning, well, 1 o'clock in the morning. And uh, I actually had a, uh, made my first scholarship kind of offer that night. We, we beat this Buffalo team. And uh, about 7 o'clock in the morning, my dad wakes me up. And he goes, uh, there's an a na- a open trial for the national team. You're going to go? I go, why am I going to go there? I mean, I just got, I got cut from the Ontario junior team. Right. Like, what, what's, what's the point? He goes, well, what are you going to do all day? I said, I'm going to play. He goes, who are you going to play with? I said, I'm going to get on the phone, get my guys within the ball. He goes, well, guess what? Everybody's there. Let's go. And uh, he talked me into it, right? And he took me there, dropped me off. And uh, I, I was on the court. We were, you know, they make up teams. I'm playing. I played really good. I, I hit a jumper, maybe blocked the shot, had a dunk, the whole bit. Like in five, But it was only five minutes. And then Jack Donahue calls me over, and I'm going, okay, here we go. Thanks for coming out. You're too young. You know, appreciate it. And he says, uh, I'd like to invite you to the national camp. I go, Whoa. Awesome. Whoa. And my life changed, right? My life changed from that point on. Uh, and, and everything connected with Jack helped change my life. The way he spoke to me, the way he – the way he coached me, guided me, uh, you know, that, that was the biggest day really, uh, you know, uh, getting, getting seen and, 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 uh, kind of discovered, I guess. What, um, I love that story. I know a little bit of that story, but you know, I just, I am curious about Jack in terms of, cause I've read a lot about him, um, especially in Jay Triano's book, you've talked about him lots. Um, is there a coach today that would resemble Jack and, and, you know, who his similar style, how he relates to players, how he is as a, you know, a thinker of the game. Is there a coach that it resembles Jack? Well, I, I think there's a lot of, uh, a lot of coaches that are what you would consider players coaches, you know, like you look at the relationship, you know, Steve Kerr has with his players, you know, Eric Spolster has, you know, a Steve Kachalski in Canada, who was an assistant coach for many years, Legend with Jack, yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, Jack was very unique. Uh, he was tough. I mean, Jack was tough, and uh, but he, he he treated all twelve guys. You know, this was their team, right. but he also had individual ways of dealing with everybody. Uh, you all had to follow the rules. No one's getting breaks, but you know, he knew that if I needed to be kissed, he'd give me a kiss. If you needed to be kicked, he'd give you a kick. And the way he did it. I saw him kissing you, I wasn't going, oh. Or if I saw him kicking you, it was like, 
everybody kind of understood what he was doing. He just he just figured out a way to to work with everybody. And and you got to remember, figure somebody's cutting the grass. I hope you can still hear. It's but all good. Uh, we're, keep, we're keeping it real on this, Leo. It's all, all good, right. Man. Yeah. So I just like being outside. Um, but but like if you think about it, there's a lot of things Jack did that you couldn't do today, right? Like we practice three times a day. You now you know when you, you know when you have a double a double session. Usually you have a light one and a hard one. We had three that were the same. Three. I remember one time we went on this trip to Italy. We were in, near Venice, and we pra- he got mad at us. We lo- we lost his tournament. And we, by the way, we lost to we lost to the Russians. The United States had to buzzer after getting off the plane and Italy. And he was just so mad at us that uh, we went three times a day for two weeks. Right, guys. You, know, you couldn't do that today. Your your team would no. quit. Guys wouldn't right. play. Uh, so it was a different world. Uh, yet, you know, he was amazing. Like I said, the way he talked to you. Uh, you know, I, I remember like playing a game where uh, I'd have a turnover, a minute to go to a game, like a two point game. I had this turnover. And Jack Leo, he called me over here. I go, <laughs> you are the ugliest player I've ever coached. And you're looking at him, right? And he just like he makes you crack up. You start, right. you laugh, and you go out, boom, boom, and make plays, you win the game, right? Uh, and he had some of the greatest lines of practice. Uh, you know, we, we had a center, Jimmy Zoot, he had this, had this uh, hook shot, and he go, you know, Jimmy Zoot misses his shot. He goes, Jimmy, you're over 32 days, you know? <laughs> Next time he shoots it, he goes, Jimmy, take that shot and bury it. You know, oh, like he, he just had, like, he always had these one-liners coming out of nowhere, Um uh, and but but he just communicated right uh you know he you didn't spend like uh our practices were were great uh we had fights in practice right? you know and he he got us when practice would end we'd have these scrimmages and like you didn't want it to end like no no one more game one more like you guys were ready to and, and he did that on purpose because he, he wanted right. you to want to get back in the gym again right uh, and so we just had a blast. Uh, and again, he, he made me believe in me, right? He's, uh, you know, I always, I always knew, I don't know how, I always knew I was going to be an NBA player and I was, I want to be an NBA player, but you know, I'm just some kid. Right. right. But when Jack Donahue looks at you and, and, and he says, you're going to be an NBA player. It's like you, this guy knows, right? This right. is Jack Donahue. He knows. Right. So when Jack gives you that confidence and it gives you that belief, uh, it changes your world. It really does. So when he um, brings you on the team at 16, was that your best kind of real chance where you got exposure to, to get a scholarship? Like, um, Yeah, that changed everything. And then uh, you go to Minnesota for that one year. Was there anybody else right off the hop? Like what did you have for offers? Oh, I could have went pretty much anywhere I wanted to go. Uh, UCLA, North Carolina, Syracuse, Minnesota, Michigan State. Uh, I was supposed to be with Magic Johnson. I was supposed to be his backcourt teammate. (laughs) Uh, I was supposed to, you know, like uh, Indiana, uh, Nevada, Las Vegas, Florida, you name it. Uh, They all recruited me. You got to remember, I was uh, Kim Traw. I didn't even hear. Like, I didn't even know what a Georgetown was. I had no idea what a Georgetown and a Villanova were from Mm -hmm. Phil, you know, uh, and, uh, but, uh, yeah, like that summer, uh, I played with the, the first summer. Uh, I played with the national team. By the time I got home, uh, I had letters from all the top all the top schools. And and you got to remember, you're, you're going from zero, from nothing, right. except that all-star game where I think it was Canisius or somebody offered me uh, to all of a sudden the top schools in the country. And uh, – uh, and, and then it just got crazy because the rules weren't the same back then, right? So everybody's showing up at all hours, and, and it just got crazy. And uh, and I kind of regret some of that because we never had experience with that, um, and it wasn't handled the right way. Uh, I ended up going to University of Minnesota. If I was doing it today, I probably wouldn't have gone there. Right. Uh, and then when I, I transferred, and uh, now I could have stayed. I could have stayed and had a good career. But there was no academics. You didn't have to go to class. There was a bunch of other stuff. Uh, I, I, I didn't. I wanted something more out of it. Uh, and also, there was a rule back then, and Larry, the Larry Bird rule. Remember, he got drafted by the Celtics, and he went back to Indiana State, 
and he had until the next the Celtics had until the next draft to draft him to sign him, or he goes back in a draft and they lose him. And uh, so I figured when I left Minnesota, this is great. I'm going to be able to get drafted twice. You know, I'll get drafted my when my class graduates, and then if I don't like it, when I graduate. Right. And uh, they changed the rule a year later. But uh, uh, anyway, it was uh, so I, when I left Minnesota, uh, I actually signed with Marshall in West Virginia. And uh, nobody could figure that one out, uh, why I went there. But it was actually a Canadian coach, Stu Aberdeen, uh, from out east. Uh, Stu Aberdeen was a big part of the Ernie and Bernie show, uh, Ernie Grunfeld and uh, Bernard King in Tennessee. He was wow. a big recruiter there. Uh, and he had, to, I really would have, I really believe that if Stu not passed away and I had gone there, I think we would have, we would have had a, a hell of a program. Mike D'Antoni went to Marshall okay. uh, prior to that. And, uh, so I, I uh, but, uh, Stu passed away two weeks after I signed with Marshall. Uh, and it's, uh, I got 10 stories related to that, but, uh, and then, uh, Syracuse, I was in with Syracuse at the first time, in with Syracuse the second time, and I, I, I literally came back from Italy uh, with the Canadian team, and uh, Jim Bayham was on the phone, still wanted me. So third time was a charm, I guess. Well, and, and Syracuse, I mean, you're still regarded as one of the all-time greats there, and that's there's a lot to be said about that. And I, I found a great stat today or yesterday for the conversation, but you were the first player to ever record a triple-double in the Big East. Yep, you know, yep. You knew that, right? I, I, I probably, oh, yeah, I, I probably had uh, well, I had a few, and then uh, I had a whole bunch where it was like off by one rebound or one assist or whatever. So, uh, yeah, like it, it was uh, – but it's funny, it wasn't a big deal back then, right? Nobody right. really nobody really cared, but that was kind of my game, right? Passing, rebounding, uh uh, scoring and uh, uh, but uh, yeah, we had a kind of a unique team. I was the tallest starter uh, on the floor, and I was handling the ball. I was I was the point guard on offense, the power forward on defense, and we had a uh, we we ran we 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 ran people like we five slam a jamma with Akeem Olajuwon, Clyde Drexler, yeah. uh, Larry Michaud. They came in, we ran them off the floor in Syracuse, uh, and I, again, I was the tallest starter on the floor, so. Uh, we had a unique team. It was a little bit crazy, a little bit wild, but uh, we had some fun. <laughs> um, so your time at uh, Syracuse was super, you know, successful for yourself, and then you entered the draft. What was the draft process like at that era and that time? I mean, did they run any little combines? Like, how much did you work out for teams? I- I'm curious about the Nothing draft. Nothing like today. Right. Nothing like today. So. What they did was they had the Aloha Classic in Hawaii, and that was the top 32 seniors in the country divided into four regions. So you had eight players on a team. Okay. And uh, so I was on the East team, another Canadian, uh, Stuart Granger, uh, who's the best point guard in Canada that nobody knows about. Right. Uh, was a tr- unbelievable player for Villanova. Uh, so uh, I played in the Aloha Classic. But, again, it was only seniors, right? Uh, no underclassmen were eligible to play. So you and, and you played there, and, and the the projection with me was, uh, well, I'll, I'll tell you maybe how I got there. Um, before my senior year, we were, were playing for Canada, and we're getting ready for the World Championships in Columbia, and we played in the in the World's Fair in Knoxville, Tennessee. At uh, it was a tournament with China, Yugoslavia. Uh, the former uh, Yugoslavia and uh, the United States, and uh, all the NBA scouts were there. And there was a the head NBA guy was Marty Blake. Uh, oh, wow. He was the he was the guru of scouts. So if Marty Blake said you're the guy, you were the guy. Uh, like I said, it was very different back then. Right. And uh, so we beat Yugoslavia, which uh, which was a great team. Uh, we beat the United States. Uh, in the United States, where we have, and they had 12 first round picks on that team. Doc Rivers was on that team. Antoine Carr, Andrew Wiggins' dad, Mitchell Wiggins was on that team. Wow. Uh, the team was loaded. Uh, and I had a real good game. I think I had uh, like 24 points, 14 rebounds, eight assists, something like that. Uh, 
And Marty Blake went up to Jack Donahue after the game and said, Leo's the first-round pick. Boom. Wow. And so senior year, everything kind of stays. Like everybody's projecting I'm like anywhere between 7 and 18, somewhere in there, in that middle range. And uh, I go to the Aloha Classic, and, again, I kind of stay in that middle range. So I had uh, interest from – I think Washington was around between seven and ten. I can't remember. Uh, Portland had fifteen. The Sixers had seventeen. San Antonio at nineteen. So those are the teams I heard the most about. The Celtics. Red Arback uh, met with my agent the night before the draft, and he said he wanted to draft me, but they had the last pick of the first round. And uh, so Red Arback. Red Arback actually told Jack Donahue the year before if I would have come out, he would draft me. But there's no guarantee. You come out and they don't draft you, you're, you're screwed, right? Right. So, uh, so I said you had the Aloha Classic. And then uh, the night before the draft, the Sixers uh, asked me to fly to Philadelphia for a physical. And uh, I, I went to this doctor's office. He took my knee. He bent it up and down. He goes, it hurt? I go, nope. He goes, okay, you're good. <laughs> <laughs> like – I told somebody this the other day that my back alone, right? Right. If 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 I went to an NBA combine today and they did an MRI on my back just back then, right. I would never have been an NBA player. If they if they looked at everything, right? right. Uh, plus you gotta remember I've already had three, four knee surgeries and all this other stuff. So the guy just bent my knee and said, You're good. So that was my physical and that was the and next day was the draft and uh and the Sixers ended up drafting me. Uh, Clyde Drexler was the variable with me. Uh, if Clyde Drexler was available, uh, the Sixers probably would have taken him. Uh, if I was available, Portland would probably would have taken me. Instead, they got Drexler. And then if I was available, San Antonio would have taken me. But I wasn't. They took John Paxton. So it's interesting how uh, everything plays out. And, uh, I mean, the time in the NBA – injuries what do you what do you take away from that time in there with philly the year there uh a few games in atlanta what you know what's your your best memories if you will just that that time in the nba uh you gotta remember it's a different nba right uh you only had 23 teams uh you didn't carry 15 guys on a roster um and like i said the whole medical thing just my physical um if you got hurt i got hurt right i got hurt almost day one and you weren't treated, uh, go play. I mean, I, I, I almost destroyed my ankle, and I played two days later. And it got to the point where two months into the season, just to go to the bathroom in the morning, I had to hop on one leg to go to the bathroom. I couldn't even walk. I'm wow. still playing. I'm right. still playing, right, or trying to play. So it was, it was a whole different world. And, and back then, too, you know, if you got, if you got labeled, okay, this, guy, this guy's injury prone, boom, you're done. So even though I was a first-round pick, you were disposable, right? Because also you're not paying guys $10 million or $5 million like you are now. So, right. uh, And there were certain teams that didn't necessarily value a first-round pick. Philadelphia, Lakers, they would discard them, whereas other teams would hang on to them. Uh, but today, um, just injuries alone. If I had the same injuries on a team, you wouldn't even be playing to your health, right? They would make sure you're good. You'd also have guarantees as a first-round pick, which there's an investment there, and they're going to give you time to show what you can do. Uh, and, and it was a whole different league. So, no, I have no regrets, no complaints. Uh, I can't control my body. And, unfortunately, my body – my body. Uh, and, and like I said, to be honest with you, if it was today's NBA, my body wouldn't have gotten into the NBA. So the fact that I got there and was able to, to play and then subsequently play in Europe, uh, I can't complain. Uh, I, I had a great experience. Uh, you know, just being in the NBA, it's something I, you know, I dreamed of. Uh, the Sixers were, you know, being around Dr. J and Moses Malone. Uh, I learned a lot from those guys. Uh, and the experience, uh, the experience was uh, still a positive one that I take a lot of good things from. Uh, but again, uh, you know, you have no, I have no control over what happened to my body and that you got to live with that. Well, it's, it's great to see where you're at now. I mean, you joined the Raptors broadcast in 95 and, I feel like, you know, your impact 
on the game in Canada in that sense. I mean, that's how most people, especially younger fans, know you. And you're in every living room in the country <laughs> every night on every broadcast. It's it's a cool thing. And I, you know, my family and I, um, my wife and my daughter are big Hoops fans. And, and you know, it's just something that, you know, yourself and, and Maddie and Eric Smith, Polly, uh, Jonesy, everybody's just part of the the landscape. And I feel like, you know, that's an amazing thing for yourself too. I wonder, how did that come about? You had the opportunity to just get on with the Raptors broadcast and who, who approached you with that. And you've been there from day one. It's just, you know, you've been such a, a mainstay for years, really. Yeah. Well, it's uh, it, it, interesting because uh, uh, I already had experience. I was already in broadcasting, right? So, uh, I, when the Raptors, uh, the year before the Raptors, the 94 Worlds took place, and I did the Worlds for, uh, for, C, for CTV. Right. Uh, and that was, I think, a good entry point, exposure point, uh, getting my name back in Toronto and the whole bit because, you know, I wasn't living there at the time. Okay. And then, uh, and then so, you know, Isaiah Thomas became the GM. Uh, you know, John Bitto was uh, one of the owners. Brendan Malone. So Isaiah Thomas and I had played against each other. Brendan Malone. Uh, you know, was my assistant coach at Syracuse for Jim Beheim. Okay. So I knew Brendan Malone, and uh, so I, I had some good, good insights and, and good angles there. And uh, and and you know, timing is everything in life. Uh, I had NBA experience, I had broadcasting experience, and I was probably the only Canadian with both of those qualities that was in the in the looking for a job. So. They, they probably had a thousand resumes and videotapes they looked at, but again, I was the only Canadian with those other qualities. So uh, that was my in. And uh, so it was kind of a dream come true, right? Uh, I had always hoped I'd play for a team in Toronto. Uh, my years in the NBA, there was always talk about there's going to be a team. Uh, Ted Stepien, who owned the Cleveland Cavaliers, uh, he was trying to get a team in Toronto. He even said to me, you're going to be my guy. You're going to play for me. Uh and uh, so I always kept dreaming that that day is going to happen. Uh, unfortunately, it happened when I couldn't play anymore. But at the same time, uh, just to be a part of the NBA in Toronto and be a part of the organization and, and, and do all that, uh, like I said, it's been a it's been a dream job, and it's uh, it's something I cherish uh, every day. You know, uh, what's that old saying? If you love what you do, you, you really never work. And uh, I, I haven't worked in the last twenty six years. I've, I've loved every minute of of what I do and I've met so many great people and just to be around the game and help and help promote the game, and deliver the game to the rest of the country. It's been amazing. Absolutely. It's, um, it's important and, you know, we're glad you're doing it and everyone looks forward to seeing you every night. Leo, you're there day one and then you, and then you see the Raptors win it last season in 2019. And I'll never forget that game six you know, in Oracle and they're winning it and the, the buzzer's going and, and you're emotional on the broadcast. And I think that really, that moment really resonated with a lot of people because it's been, you know, Raptors fans from all ages and generations, no matter where they started, could have been day one in 95. It could have been the start of the 2019 season, but it was just an amazing moment. And I felt like that connection was just, you know, you were, just keeping it honest, that was a, an emotional moment, especially for you. Um, can you describe that? Just being there and just seeing that and then going those 20 years, sorry, 25 years of yeah. Raptor basketball and seeing that? Oh, it, it was, it was amazing. And like all the things that come to your mind, right. That, you know, you're, you're a kid in Toronto playing the game. There's people saying, you know, NBA is never going to be here. There's this and mm-hmm. that. You, you, you live through all that. Right. And you live through the, expansion and, and the good, the good, the bad, the Vince Carter, the, you know, you know, 16 win seasons. You, you, you just go, you see, you go through all that. Right. Um, and, and I'll tell you another person, the, one of the first people I thought it was John Saunders. Uh, John Saunders uh, did our games for the first, first five, six years. And uh, right. John was my guy. And, uh, you know, he passed away uh, a few years back and, uh, you know, he was one of the first people, uh, John loved Toronto. John loved being the Raptors broadcaster, and he actually wanted to retire. Uh, and, you know, he was a big wheel in the States, ESPN and ABC. And so, you know, uh, 
it brought a tear to my eye thinking about John and, and how he would have loved that moment. But, uh, it was very emotional. Like I said, it's, uh, you know, when you do a game, you try to, you know, obviously, yeah, we're a home team, right? Home team broadcast. Um, so there's going to be some, you know, obviously you're going to, uh, how many Canadian fans say, Hey, when the networks talk about Toronto, they don't talk. Well, well we talk about Toronto, right? Yet at the same time, you try to be as impartial as you can. You try to be objective. You try to talk about the other team. Uh, but you're from Toronto, man, and you just won an NBA championship, right? Uh, it was it was uh, it was incredible. Uh, the whole thing, uh, you know, like I said, it's uh, it's almost surreal because uh, I I believe the Raptors could win from the start of the playoffs, and as the playoffs kept going, I felt stronger and stronger about that. Uh, so I had no doubt. Uh, I wasn't surprised, but after it happened, it was still surreal. Like I remember in, uh, in, in the summer, like sitting over here going, man, NBA champions. Like it's right. just like, whoa. So it was, uh, the whole thing was pretty cool. It was amazing. Uh, it was a special moment for the country. It was, it was captivating. There was, you know, Raptor watch parties, you know, coast to coast to coast. And it was just, a special time everyone was connected and you just felt like you were part of something so big it was you know an, an amazing moment and then at the end of that game the the wrap up on the broadcast it was just fitting it was just special yeah it was uh, like i said it's uh, great memories uh, uh amazing and then then even the, the parade after it was uh uh you know like i said it just i remember looking down and it kind of with everything that's going on today, I remember looking down at the parade. It's just a, a sea of humanity. It was, it was incredible. But when you look down, you just saw the diversity of Toronto, diversity of our country, right? Uh, you saw every color, every race, everything was down there, right? And and that, that's who we are. And it was so cool to see everybody just sharing this moment together. Uh, you, know, I'll, you know, like I said, just a, one more spectacular uh, moment after the championship being there for that parade. Right. Leo, can we, uh, let's get into Canada basketball as the program a little bit. And I'd, I'd love to get your thoughts on a few things. Um, you know, when you, you know, you, you've left a huge mark on the program, both as a player and as a coach, I'd like to know, you know, some of your best memories, you know, favorite teammates, um, you know, and then impacts people in the program who've impacted you. And then when you, you start coaching and some of your, you know, favorite guys you had on the team as a coach, um, you know, can you just talk about that a little bit? Oh, man, it's, uh, you got to remember, a, a lot of years, uh, uh, you know, obviously we, I mentioned you know, Jack Donahue and Coach Kachowski, right. uh, you know, Coach, they were both so instrumental. Uh, and, and everything with me. And, you know, I had so many great teammates along the way that, uh, you know, uh, and, and teammates for uh, that all, you know, from different parts of Canada, different places, and, and brought so many different things to, uh, you know, uh, I guess I could tell you a hundred stories about each of these guys. You know, like big seven foot center, Jimmy Zoot, who actually became my brother in law for a brief period. Wow. Uh, you know, Stuart Granger, like I said, the best point guard that nobody knows about in our country. Uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, Mike Berkovich was, was a shooting guard and won a national championship with Magic Johnson at Michigan State. Uh, we had so many different guys kind of in and out, uh, guys that have made an impact in Canadian, but Ross Quackenbush, you know, uh, who ends up having a great coaching career uh, in the Canadian University basketball. Uh, you know, uh, Except the list just goes on and on and on of so many players. Uh, And even as a coach, uh, that's the one thing. The one thing I miss about the coaching is the relationships, you know, Uh, getting to know different guys. You know, you uh, you had Carl English on your show, you know, getting to know Carl and and knowing what Carl's life was all about, knowing the experiences he's lived through and and who he is uh, and what makes him, you know, tick. Uh, you know, uh, you know. I remember uh, Jermaine Anderson. Uh, you know, we needed a point guard. Right, we needed a point guard. We didn't have a point guard, right. and uh, you know, we're bringing in different guys, different guys. And finally, I just said to Jermaine one day, I said, "Hey, stop looking over your shoulder. Stop worrying about me else. You're my point guard. 
We're going to do this together. All right. right. You just, you just play, listen to what we got to do. Don't worry about making mistakes. And then uh, I'll never forget the game where uh, we qualified for the worlds. We had to beat Dominican Republic. Right. You know, they had Al Horford, uh, Charlie Villanueva, Francisco Garcia. Everybody thought it was done. They're going to wipe us out. They were already planning their post-game party. And uh, uh, Jermaine Anderson has like 25 in this game, just dominates the game. And uh, I remember at a post-game press conference, Jermaine's sitting there, and uh, one of the first questions somebody asked, they go, do you think Steve Nash will play in the world? I go, hey, we all love Steve. And if Steve wants to play, the door is always open. But right now, you're talking about this guy right here, Jermaine Anderson, because of the commitment he's made. And that was the thing. We had so many guys. Like, Levon Kendall played for 11 years straight. You know, uh, you know, we had, uh, we had so many guys that really committed uh, to the program. Uh, and, and what's cool now is, you know, uh, like I said, a Javon Shepard, I see him in a different world now. And, and you still can have a, a hand in that and have an impact. A, a Joel Anthony, remember Joel Anthony, uh, you know, here's an undrafted kid that becomes, you know, a, a key player on a, on a championship team in Miami, right? A key role player. And I remember, I remember Joel said, coach, um, he, he had to, he went to all these draft workouts and he was going from Portland to see, uh, to, you know, uh, you know, Lakers to Clippers to like, he was just bouncing from one to the other. And he goes, coach, uh, we had a camp. He goes, right, coach, uh, I'm going to try to fly in between the, I said, you know, you're not, you're <laughs> going to go and you're going to have the time of your life and you're going to try out for these teams and you're going to make the NBA, right? Just have fun. Uh, he ends up making the NBA, but that's the kind of kid he is and the commitment he had to Canada where coach, I'll find a way to get back. And we just had so many guys, uh, so many guys, Rans Brempong. I, I can go down and just keep making name and names. That, uh, I just have so many strong feelings and memories of so many different guys that, uh, uh, and and a lot of guys grew up together, uh, went through a lot of experiences together, good and bad, and 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 that's what makes you uh, men. That's what makes you better players. And uh, so, as a player and as a coach, it's uh, you know uh, just phenomenal memories and and, and uh, relationships. Absolutely, and I. I love some of the names that you brought up. I mean, I love Rock, uh, Levon. I always, he was a West Coast guy. I actually came across him one time in Vancouver. I think I was watching the exhibition game. Canada was playing China and he was in the arena and he was, I think he was just hanging out with his family. Um, but I knew him kind of as a player who he was then. He, he had that West Coast laid back. Yeah. He's thing uh, about him. And, and it's like, he's chill. Like I, I'm big on family. Right. And, I had no issue in some of these places we played at. I mean, you know, they're, it's hard to get to in these cities and this and that. So, like, if, if Levon's dad was in town, Levon's dad could ride the bus to the game with us. For sure. And, and people go, like, why are you doing it? It's family, man. It's family. And plus, right. if Levon's happy that his dad's there, you know Levon's going to play good. Not good with that. So, right, right. It's, uh, we had, uh, yeah, it was uh, – I, I always encourage that if uh, – if you wanted, you know, somebody special, you wanted somebody in your family uh, with you, bring them along. Man. That's, uh, like I said, I, I can't preach family and tell you that your family is not important. That doesn't make sense. No, that's awesome. I love it. I love it. Leo, give me your top five Canadian basketball players of all time. Ooh. Give me your starting five. <laughs> you can throw a six man in and you got to, I'd be disappointed if you didn't include yourself in that. No, I, I'm not going to include myself because that's uh, that those those decisions are not for me to make. And again, the game the game is uh, you know I had my time, but you know you look at uh, here here's the hard part, right? Uh, like I can talk about a Stuart Granger right now, right? And people go, Who, "Who's he talking about? Who's he talking about?" Uh, I watch Stuart Granger make guys cry. I watched Stuart Granger talk so much trash to players that they chased him down a tunnel in Mexico. Uh, I watched him dominate the United States. We, we played a game in a world championships against Yugoslavia. After Remember, we, I told you, we beat him in Knoxville, Tennessee. Right. Stuart lit them up, and he was talking so much trash. Like he was in their heads. 
at the beginning of the game in Columbia, Stewart's got the ball in his hands. He passes it up court. Everybody watches the ball. All of a sudden, this guy's laying on the floor holding his face from Yugoslavia. He, he faked that Stu punched him in the face. Oh, Stu didn't do anything. Right. Stu didn't do anything. Nobody saw it. Nobody did. This guy, Stu gets thrown out of the game. We can't beat Yugoslavia without Stu. And if you get thrown out of one game, you're out the next game. Guess who we're playing next game? Soviet Union. So we lose two games because this guy in Yugoslavia flops it, fakes it, uh, get punched in the face because that's how good Stu was. Right. That's how scared they were of Stu. So, uh, but I mean, it's uh, like I said, we, there's there's been a lot of great players in history, but I think you know now you look at it today. I mean, obviously you got you know Steve Nash, uh, Jamal Murray, uh, what he's doing, the level that you know he's taking his game to. Uh, you know, Tristan Tristan Thompson, he's a champion, right? I mean, the guy's got you know he's a champion. Uh, Corey Joseph's got a ring. Dwight Powell is a player that I really think is special. Uh, you know, you can keep going down the list. So. Uh, I couldn't even begin to tell you the all-time. I mean, it's uh, uh, there's so many players. Like I said, you know, people forget. Uh, uh, Jimmy Zoot was one of the best centers in the world that I played with, uh, and, and he was one of the best centers in FIBA. had a, had a little bit of a taste in the NBA. Uh, you had a Lars Hansen before him. Uh, you, you know, so it's uh, you know, uh, it, it's it's a tough one, right? Like you look at a player, you know, people forget a Todd McCullough. If he hadn't had the foot problems that he had, Todd McCullough. Uh, was having a, a tremendous NBA career, uh, and it had a tr- it was having a tr- had a tremendous FIBA career. So, you know, uh, there's just there's just too many on the plate, and I'm not going to have any of these guys say, "Man, what about me?" Right. <laughs> well, I don't know how many of them are listening to Canada Hoops yet, but we hope that grows. And uh, well, we'll get them listening, right? No, no, it's cool. Uh, I mean, listen, I got personal favorites in my five. You know, it's not going to be so much. Obviously, I'm a big Carl fan, and but guys are that are you mentioned, Big Todd, and um, it is tough. There's lots of guys, and it's but that's the exciting part too because our, our talent is so deep now. And, and there's play, and, and 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 you there, the difficulty is okay. I'll give you a name, a Jay Triano. Right. Okay, Jay Triano is one of the best shooters in the history of Canada basketball. Right. All right. Uh, I could tell you some unbelievable stories about what he did, and. Jay, Jay could play in today's game. If, he, if you let him shoot as many threes as he wanted to, uh, but there's a player that isn't going to resonate you know, today, right? It's not going to. Like uh, like I said, the funny thing is, and, and, and hey, it's, you know, this is the game today. But, again, just like I said about Toronto Hoops earlier in the show, that right. the game wasn't just invented, right? Uh, do you know that in 1982 – on that team that beat the United States in Knoxville. Uh, and, again, that U.S. team had 12 first-round picks on that team. That team had six or seven draft picks. Wow. Uh, I was a first-round pick. Billy Wannington was a first-round pick. Uh, Stuart Granger was a first-round pick. Uh, Mike Schreck played for the, the Los Angeles Lakers. He's got a ring. Uh, Jay was drafted. Kazanowski was drafted. Danny Mahar was drafted. Perry Merkovich was drafted. Uh, I'm probably missing somebody, but right. so and now you had eight rounds, right? Eight nine rounds. But the point is, the game wasn't just invented. We actually played the game, and Canada had a lot of success. And you're talking about finishing, you know, fourth in the Olympics, fifth in the world. Uh, you know, uh, you know. So, uh, you know. People aren't going to talk about those guys or recognize those guys or put those guys in the same conversation because everything is the NBA today. And, and that's the way. No, that's fine. You know, like I said, it's uh, the players today, they deserve the, the shine. They deserve the light. And they're responding in a great way. So it's just great to see. It is. And I'm, I'm excited. And I'm, it'll be interesting to see what, what shakes down next summer if the qualifying tournament in Victoria can kick off and – I don't know if we're going to get an Olympics, how that's going to look, and who's going to See, gonna we got get. so many guys that didn't even mention Rick Fox. There's another one. It's like no, you I can know, keep going either. back and names can keep popping into your head. It's crazy. It's crazy. So I hope next summer we get a chance to really put everything together and see who can really play and who's available based on schedule and see what the climate's like with the pandemic. But uh, 
it's exciting. And, uh, you know, I, I love the talent level where the game's at. I love the growth of the game. You know, you're, you've been a vital part of that for years. So I want to thank you for that, Leo. Well, I appreciate uh, that. It's, uh, it's been a fun ride, man. It's been a fun yeah. ride. Well, let's keep it going, man. For sure. All right, Leo. I uh, appreciate you coming on Canada Hoops. It means a lot. I uh, just want to say thanks again. Stay safe, and uh, we'll talk soon. All right, Maddie. I appreciate it, and everybody out there, stay safe as well. Uh, still got a long way to go with this thing, but uh, keep keep talking hoops, Maddie. We'll do. Thanks, Leo. All right, that's a wrap. Episode two of Canada Hoops. I want to thank Leo Routens for coming on. It was a thrill to chat with him. I want to thank you for listening. Hit us up at Canada Hoops Podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Keep spreading that love for the game. Until the next time, I'm your boy, Maddie. Thank you for listening to Canada Hoops.